Many of us treat prayer as if it were simply a way to make life more comfortable. But according to Pastor Trent Griffith, that's not necessarily biblical. Pride is prayer repellent. Pain is prayer accelerant. God is so committed to your prayer life that He allows pain to prompt you to seek Him in prayer. But what do we do? We immediately go and like, God, I don't know if you've noticed or not, but Satan has been attacking me. Satan has sent this pain in my life. And I know that you can fix that. And God, I want to pray right now. Would you please remove the pain? We need to rethink the purpose of pain. We need to rethink the purpose of prayer. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith. I'm Aaron Paulus. I don't know of anyone who says this. Yeah, my prayer life, it's everything it ought to be. I find prayer easy, exciting, joyful, and I can't wait to get out of bed every morning to spend the first hour and a half of my day in prayer. Well, maybe you're there, and if so, I'd like to meet you. But for most of us, prayer is, well, more difficult. Our series here on Resonate is Simply Pray. And today and next week, we're going to hear how God uses difficulties and pain in our lives to make prayer a more natural response for us. Trent is a senior pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana, and he has a list of some things that we need to rethink. So let's join him now as we learn to simply pray from our weakness. Here's Pastor Trent. Open your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And uh, as we continue our Simply Pray series, I just continue to hear what God is doing as we have taken seriously the privilege and the responsibility of prayer. Now, as we jump into this, I want to ask you to think with me for this morning. As a matter of fact, this morning is all about thinking and rethinking. It is possible that we have not been thinking correctly about prayer. And so I'm gonna challenge you this morning to rethink four different areas. Before we get into that, I want you to think seriously with me about one thing. I want you to think about the most painful thing that you are experiencing right now. You say, I didn't come to church to think about the most painful thing. I, th- I came to church to get my mind off of that and to get some hope. Well, in order to get the hope, we have to think. What is the most painful thing, maybe even chronically painful thing, that you experience and are experiencing in your life? Maybe it's your greatest area of weakness. Maybe it's a physical weakness. Maybe it's a disability. Maybe it's a health issue. Maybe it's just a physical pain. Maybe it's an emotional pain. Maybe it's it's regret over some, some things that have happened to you in the past, either some choices that you made or maybe some things that people did to you that you wish you could go back and undo, and it causes you pain. Maybe it's something that you've asked God to remove. You've prayed over and over and over that God would remove this. It's an area of weakness in your life. You think, God, if you would just remove this, I would be so much stronger. Have you got it? How many of you are thinking of something right now? 
that you've prayed about, God, remove it. I could do so much, I could be so much further down the road with you if you would just remove this. Now, here's what I want you to rethink. What if that very painful thing that you have prayed that God would remove is the very thing that God wants to use to change you, to teach you, to protect you, to grow you and draw you into a stronger, closer, intimate relationship with Him. What if that pain was put in your life to prompt you to pray? Would you still ask God to remove it? What if the thing that you consider your greatest weakness is what God actually wants to use to make you stronger? That's what we're going to think about today as we continue thinking about this idea of simply praying. I want you to show, I want to show you someone in the scripture that that was re the reality for them. We're going to be, begin to pick up the story here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. This is the apostle Paul that we would consider the strongest Christian that ever lived. He wrote half the New Testament, and the reason he wrote half the New Testament is because of the things that God had revealed to him, knowledge of God that he wanted to communicate to the churches. So I want you to see the story here. He picks up the story in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 1. He says, I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. Now stop right there. Let me give you the context of this because we would say boasting, isn't boasting a bad thing? I mean, don't we like tell our children, don't boast, don't be arrogant, don't, don't be proud. He's actually using boasting the way that we would if we put it in air quotes. I must go on boasting. And so what he's actually having to do is these Corinthians, these, these, this church in the city of Corinth were so carnal that they were requiring the Apostle Paul to convince them why they should listen to him. There were a lot of different super apostles, people that were presenting their spiritual resumes to become the teachers and the influencers of the church in Corinth. And Paul is trying to gain a hearing. You need to be listening to me because I actually am the one that have the truth. And Paul's in this really awkward position of having to list his spiritual credentials to these people so that they would listen to him so that he could disciple them and get them to a better place with the Lord. So he says, okay, you're putting me in this really awkward position. So now I have to go into the section of my resume that has to do with some really strange things that he calls visions and revelations of the Lord. Now, if you look back over um, in chapter 11, go over to verse 23, and he is listing part of the weaknesses of his resume. I want you to see it here. It says, are they, these super apostles, these people that are trying to compete for their attention, are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. Are they talking like madmen? with far greater labors, far more uh, imprisonments, 
with countless beatings and often near death. Now he's talking about all these experiences he's had because he has stood for truth, because he's unapologetically preached the word of God and the opposition that's come with it. Look at how he's been treated. Verse 24, five times I received at the hand of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger of of false uh, brothers. How many think he lived a dangerous life? At this point, like, my goodness, this guy has really suffered for Christ. But then he goes on in verse 27, in toil and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from all these things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Then he asked the question, who is weak? Am I not weak? Who is made to fall? Am I not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. And so that's what he wants to do. He's trying to say, you guys should listen to me because my life has been spent for the gospel. I've been so unfairly treated. I have been physically beaten. And yet I love you so much. I'm willing to suffer these things in order to get the truth to you. And so they're putting him in a position. They don't want to listen to his weaknesses. They want to hear something about his strengths. And so he's very awkwardly having to talk to these people about his strengths. And so in verse 2, back over in chapter 12, he goes on about these visions and revelations. He says this, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast except in my Weaknesses. And let me tell you what's going on here. What are these visions and revelations with this stuff about paradise and the third heaven here? And, and why is he speaking in the third person when it's obvious that he's telling a story that, that happened to him? Well, proud people are really hard to communicate to. And it puts you in a really hard position when you're actually trying to gain a hearing with proud people. So he's having to talk about these things that have happened to him. He says, I know a man. So he's talking about himself that was caught up in the third heaven. Like, what's all this stuff about the third heaven? Sounds like a science fiction movie. Listen, it's not hard to figure out, okay? The first heaven is what we would consider the atmosphere of the earth, where the birds fly and the planes fly. That's the first heaven. And then beyond that, we have outer space. Did you see the moon this morning? Yeah, that would be the second heaven out there. And then the third heaven is actually the dwelling place of God, a place that that one day we will all be with God uh, in paradise. Well, Paul was exposed to such revelation that in some sense, he's not even sure if it was an out-of-body experience or it was a vision or a dream or something or maybe a near-death experience, but he heard things and saw things that were going on in the dwelling place of God. Now, what's interesting is every time that somebody has a near-death experience on earth that we know of today, they write a book and they want to get rich and they want to tell all the details about it. 
Paul doesn't want to talk about this. He hasn't talked about it in 14 years. And yet they're putting him in a position to say, you've got to show us why we should listen to you. Well, here's a reason. I went to heaven. I found out some things about God. That's why you need to listen to me. So that was an experience that would cause someone to become proud because of the revelation that they have about God. Mark it down. The more revelation you have, the greater temptation you have to become proud. Here's the first thing that we need to learn this morning. We need to rethink the problem of pride. You remember that painful circumstance that I had you think of earlier? Do you understand that your pain is not your greatest problem? Your greatest problem is pride. And if you don't deal with your pride, it could be that God allows you to experience some pain to protect you from pride. Pain is not your biggest problem. Pride is because pride prevents people from praying. Pride is prayer repellent. The more you think you know, the less you think you need. And so Paul understands that because he's experienced so much revelation, he had to experience some pain. Listen, the best thing you could put on your spiritual resume is not how much you know about God. The best thing you could put on your spiritual resume is how much more you need to know about God. The worst thing you could put on your spiritual resume is all of your strengths that have allowed you to succeed without prayer and without God. Listen, forget about your spiritual accomplishments. What qualifies you for ministry is not your spiritual strengths. It's not how much you know. What qualifies you for ministry is how you leverage your weaknesses to drive you further and further to God in prayer. And that's what happened to Paul. The stronger you are, the more God has to do to convince you of how much you still need him. And the more accomplishments you have, the more you want to talk about those accomplishments, the more you must learn to boast only in your weaknesses. You see, strong people have difficulty praying. They see little need in their life for prayer because they think they can handle it on their own. They're so strong. And what's so interesting, strong people, people that think they're strong, they have a hard time seeing their own weaknesses, but they are great at seeing everybody else's. So do you know what they do? They spend all their time in prayer praying for other people because it's all they can see is all these dysfunctional people in their family and all the weaknesses in their spouse and all their, all their kids that are messed up and how the church and the pastor and the president and everybody around them has all these spiritual needs. And so they are great at intercessory prayer but they are awful at personal prayer because they're blinded by all of their spiritual accomplishments. We've got to learn to boast in our weaknesses. How do you boast in your weakness? Number one, you admit your weaknesses to yourself. 
you stop thinking about how great you are and how strong you are. Number two, admit your weaknesses to God. You start off in prayer. God, there is so much unfinished business in my life. God, I still feel so distant from you. God, there's still such a propensity to run from you. And I am, I am way too good at seeing weaknesses in everybody else. God, would you open my eyes to see what you want to do in my own life? I can guarantee you there is a prayer that God will not answer. Here it is. God, would you please remove every difficulty in my life so that I don't have to trust you? Would you please remove every pain so that my life can be so easy that I can handle it without you? I guarantee you that's a prayer God will never answer. And yet, that is the translation of most of our prayers. God, would you fix that? God, would you remove that? God, would you make me feel better? Would you make it easier over here? And God is like, I'm not answering that prayer because you're way too proud to handle life without me dealing with the pain and circumstances in your life. So the second thing we need to rethink is we need to rethink the purpose of pain. Now, we left off the story here in verse uh, 6. I want you to look at verse 7. He says, So, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Let's rethink the purpose of pain. So Paul mentions here this thorn in the flesh. The Greek word that's used there indicates something pointed, something sharp, something like a stake or a javelin or the point of a fishing hook, like a splinter. It was something that caused Pain. Now, it's interesting that he uses the word thorn here. He's using an analogy. I don't think that literally he had a thorn that was stuck in his, in his leg or his finger that he couldn't get out. Okay, But what he's trying to let us know is it was just as painful as that. And so we don't exactly know what the thorn is. A lot of people have speculated about it. There's some things that we know the thorn is not. This is what we know about the thorn. It's not sin, okay? This is not a personal sin issue because the Bible says it was given to him. God doesn't give you sin, okay? So it was something that was given to him. It was a gift that God gave him. Secondly, it was, it was something that, that caused acute, chronic pain. It went on and on and on. Paul asked for God to remove it, but God continued to allow it. Thirdly, Paul viewed it as simultaneously as a gift from God and an instrument of Satan. Now, just think about that for a minute. Most of us have a very a dichotomy view of, you know, God's over on this team and Satan's over on this team and anything that's coming into my life, if it's painful, if it hurts, it's obviously from Satan. I mean, if somebody's... Um, you know, give me a dirty look. Well, you're from Satan, for sure. 
You know, if, if somebody's got a bad attitude, and they have, you are being controlled by Satan right now. And, and there is a sense in which Paul understood a proper theology of Satan, the adversary of God. We, we assign way too much power to Satan. Okay, listen, Satan is not Jesus' evil twin, okay? There's not this wrestling match in the universe between God and Satan, and you know, we just really hope that God can work it out at the end, and Satan will tap out. That's, that's a wrong theology. Satan is the unwilling servant of Jehovah God. He does only what God allows him to do. And so Paul understood that even though the messenger was Satan, the message was from God. And God was using Satan to get the message about Paul's temptation to pride through this pain. And so we don't exactly know what it was, but we can kind of speculate. People have thought, commentators have written, it could have been some type of emotional depression. Maybe, maybe... He actually struggled with depression. Maybe there was some guilt over his past life. Do you think Paul had some things that were regretful in his life? And here he was trying to minister to the church when he knew that on his resume in the past was the fact that he'd actually persecuted the church and he'd actually killed Christians. And now he's trying to make disciples. And so maybe there was something going on in his, in his psyche about what had happened in the past. Maybe it was his burden for his own people, the nation of Israel, that, that he had a heart to to see no Jesus. Maybe it was a relational conflict. Some people think that it could have been the opposition from all these false prophets and, and people that were trying to, to harass him, his opponents. Uh, maybe it was the rejection of his ministry. Some people have said it was his mother-in-law. Um, I don't know. I don't know. It, it could have been. Um, but, but really, if we take the Scripture literally... It had to do with his flesh. He identifies it was a thorn in his flesh. I believe it was physical pain. Okay? And so some people could say, you, you have to remember, this is back in the day where there were not, not a lot of doctors and physicians and penicillin and, and Pepto-Bismol. I mean, it, it, none of that. No Advil, no Tylenol, no pain reliever in any way back in this day. So it could have been something that we would consider not very serious. It could be a fever. It could have been migraine headaches. It could have been malaria, digestive trouble. It could have been epilepsy. Some people have thought it could have been poor eyesight. I am almost convinced I know what it is. You're laughing. <laughs> I am convinced it was sciatica. How many of you know what sciatica is? How many of you are actually experiencing a little sciatica right now? Okay, The reason I believe it was sciatica is because I have sciatica. Because I have a, an elder, a former elder at our church, that, that decided he wanted to take me on a run and train me for, to run a half marathon about three years ago. And so I'm like, okay, I can do this. So I start running. And after about three weeks, I got this pain in my hip that starts going down my leg. And my leg is numb. And I'm dying. I can't run anymore. But I, I now have this new pain. And I go in for an MRI. And sure enough, the disc between L4 and L5 is all squished out. And it puts pain on the nerve that goes right down through there. goes to my left leg. And it hurts. And I know that's what Paul had to. The reason I think that is because 
you think you know what Paul's thorn is too. Whatever you have, you're sure that's what Paul had too, right? Now, the Bible doesn't really tell us what it is. Of course, I don't know if it's sciatica or not. But God, in his infinite wisdom, left it open for us to say, you know what, if Paul had listed specifically what it was, if it was migraine headaches and you don't struggle with migraine headaches, it's like, well, that doesn't apply with me. Why doesn't God talk about my pain? Listen, whatever your pain is and whatever Paul's pain was, God wants to teach us the same thing through it. We need to understand the purpose of our pain. Now, I want you to notice here, um, Paul actually prays that God would remove it. He does. But do you understand God is more committed to your spiritual health than he is your physical health? And if some of your physical strength has to be sacrificed in order for you to become spiritually strong, God's willing to allow that in your life. We need to rethink the purpose of pain. And we need to think, rethink the purpose of prayer. Look here at verse 8. It says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. So three different times... Paul asked God to fix his sciatica or whatever it was that he was dealing with. Now notice, it was the pain that prompted the prayer. Do you get it? Pride is prayer repellent. Pain is prayer accelerant. God is so committed to your prayer life that he allows pain to prompt you to seek him in prayer. But what do we do? We immediately go, it's like, God, I don't know if you've noticed or not, but Satan has been attacking me. Satan has sent this pain into my life. And I know that you can fix that. And God, I want to pray right now. Would you please remove the pain? We need to rethink the purpose of pain. We need to rethink the purpose of prayer. Now listen, three different times Paul pleaded with the Lord that he would remove it. And that's great news for us. Do you know what that means? You can ask God to heal you. It is perfectly acceptable for you to ask God to remove the pain. You can pray about anything any problem, any pain in your life, you can ask God to fix it. That's exactly what Paul did, and it was very appropriate. Well, we need to cut into this message by Trent Griffith right here. Next week, we'll hear the conclusion. Difficult and painful circumstances do show us our dependency on God, and I might add, on others as well. We will never survive this life completely on our own. And that's why it's so important that we surround ourselves with a vibrant community of brothers and sisters in Christ. If church is something missing from your life, now is the time to do something about it. Well, you are officially invited to visit Harvest Bible Chapel. Church won't necessarily make your problems go away, but others in the body of Christ can help point you to Jesus, who knows exactly what you're going through. For more information about service times and locations at Harvest, just go to harvestgranger.org. 
Again, that's harvestgranger.org. While the Apostle Paul learned the connection between humility and his difficult thorn in the flesh, God used that painful situation to drive Paul to his knees. And we'll see next week how it gave him a better understanding of the grace of God. I hope you won't miss the next Resonate. But if you do, don't forget you can listen to past programs at harvestgranger.org resonate. Well, thanks for listening today. I'm Aaron Paulus, and my prayer is that God's word would resonate in your heart and mind this week. Resonate with Trent Griffith is a radio ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel Granger. Visit us on the web at harvestgranger.org.